Did you respond in five minutes or five days? Did you have a clear subject line or was it very brief? Did you use emojis or exclamations or was it a formal tone? These are not trivial decisions now. They are cues that help our teams, our customers understand trust, respect, empathy in a modern marketplace. Hi, and welcome to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan, and we're the co-founders of Chief, the network of the most powerful women in business. Each episode, we unravel complex business trends and challenge preconceived notions of leadership. And today, we're talking about how to lead in a digital-first world. It's something we really need to figure out, because 70% of people say that confusing emails, awkward Zoom calls, and ambiguous Slack messages are draining their performance. So it's up to leaders to fix this mess so people can actually, you know, get their work done. And how do leaders convey credibility, authenticity, and empathy in a virtual workplace? How does executive presence show up online? And more importantly, is it appropriate for a co-founder to reply to an email with a single emoji? Lindsay. My God, you don't have to call me out like that. I'm just being efficient. And you know exactly what the muscle emoji means. Well, at least it was the muscle emoji and not another one, if you know what I mean. All right. Well, per my last email, you'll be taking this one solo. So thanks in advance and take it away, Cece. Welcome to Erica Dewan, who is the founder and CEO of Cotential and the author of Digital Body Language and also a member favorite here at Chief. She has come and spoken to our membership many times. So Erica, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So I know we're going to discuss how leadership has evolved since relying so heavily on digital communication. But before we dive into all of that, I would just love to hear a little bit more about your background and what made you interested in this field of work. Yeah. I grew up as a shy and introverted girl. My parents were Indian immigrants, and I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which meant at home we spoke Hindi. So when I got to school, I had accented English. I was the quietest kid in the class, raising my hand, calling attention to myself would have been unimaginable to me. But one of the ways I learned to find my voice as a kid was learning how to decipher other people's body language. And it taught me, as we all know in business, it's not what we say, it's how we say it. Fast forward 40 years, based on my greatest challenge, I ended up becoming an expert at body language and communication, helping CEOs and leaders create cultures of great communication. But in many ways, I realized that just like I was an immigrant to traditional body language as a kid, today as leaders running global, multi-generational, hybrid teams, we don't just have a body language, we have a digital body language. And we're all immigrants to it, whether we know it or not. I love it. So Let's actually dive in then on like this concept of digital body language. So can you just describe what it actually means and why it matters? Well, research shows that 60 to 70% of our face-to-face communication is body language, pacing, pauses, gestures, tone, the lean in in a sales conversation, the handshake, the eye contact. But in a digital or hybrid world, body language hasn't disappeared. 
it is just transformed. We now infuse what I call digital body language, which are the cues and signals we send in all of our digital communications that now make up the subtext of our messages. And I'm not talking about Zoom skills. I'm talking about all of the cues and signals that have replaced the head nod, the handshake, the lean in, things like the choice of communication medium. Did you choose to email, Mm. call, video call, Slack, text? How quickly you respond? Did you respond in five minutes or five days? Did you have a clear subject line or was it very brief? Did you use emojis or exclamations or was it a formal tone? These are not trivial decisions now. They are cues that help our teams, our customers understand trust, respect, empathy in a modern marketplace. And to sum it up, I want to share a story of a female executive I worked with that reminds us how important digital body language is. She got some feedback in her 360 that her empathy was weak, and I was coaching her. So I looked for all of the traditional markers of subpar empathy, an inability to ask great questions, to use good body language, to show her team that she cared and they were valued. Turns out when she was face-to-face with her team members, she had great empathy. She asked good questions. She had great body language. She really showed that she valued everyone's input. But while her traditional markers of empathy were great using body language, her digital body language was abysmal. She was the type Mm. of executive that would send emails saying, call me now, freaking out her teams, or chronically canceling virtual meetings at the last minute after teams spent days planning presentations. She would often multitask during those virtual meetings or send very brief, low-context messages confusing her team. And so what we realized is that in many ways today, she had to make the implicit explicit. She had to choose maniacal clarity over brevity. She had to understand that reading her emails carefully was the new listening. Writing clearly was the new empathy. And that's really what digital body language is all about. It's helping us all become better leaders in the modern world of business. How has it all shifted in the context of COVID? Are there certain traits that you want to come out more in your digital body language? Is it more like empathy and, you know, authenticity that needs to come out more now than before? Yeah. Well, when working behind a virtual screen versus in person, the majority of the time, there are a few things that need to be addressed. The first is what I call the online disinhibition effect, which is a study that shows that when we tend to say the same thing virtually in an email, in a Slack, on a video screen versus in person, the recipient is much more likely to feel less empathy from us, regardless of if it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Secondly, just the nature of the lack of tone and intonation in someone's voice when you send someone an email versus hear it in person or on a phone call can create misunderstanding. Last but not least, I think with the pandemic, the rise of the video screen and all of us being TV show hosts in many ways has completely changed this conversation. I often hear teams say, I can't get people on video. We don't have great video meetings. I like to say great digital body language is thinking like a TV show host where within the first three minutes, You clarify, here's what success looks like at the end. Here's how I want all of you to engage. If we all stay present, I'll end the meeting five minutes early. It's a virtual meeting where you give your introverts time to write down their ideas because they tend to think better in chat versus extroverts who want to jump in. Mm. It's when you use breakout rooms, when you have 30 people there. Those are just some examples of what's new and what are some of the common best practices now in a post-pandemic area where video calls are the norm. But some of the more general 
general rules around email etiquette, Slack etiquette, I think they've always existed, but they've become more pronounced because now often 80 to 90% of our communication is virtual first versus in the past, it may have been the reverse. Yeah. I actually remember I had a coaching session, my first coaching session during the pandemic. And she spent the entire time on like my Zoom setup. And I was like, you don't understand there's a pandemic. Why am I spending time on what my Zoom setup looks like? Right. This is not the most important thing I need to be focused on. But now as I talk to you, I realize actually it's incredibly important and that like the small cues are actually very much picked up on. So you've shared some really great ideas for collaborating in groups, but can you talk a little bit more about the tactics for an individual leader specifically? Yeah, let me give you some practical tactics as a leader. First and foremost, especially on video calls, look into the camera when you're presenting. Research shows we make eye contact 30 to 60% of the time in person. When we're working virtually and particularly presenting virtually, I like to say the new executive presence is creating that sense of feeling of connection with your colleagues. So if you can, when you're presenting, look into the camera. Second, make sure you've thought about your video background. You don't have distracting images. You're far away enough from the camera so people can see your face, but also some of your your hand expressions as well. It allows them to build a connection with you. And then Last but not least, don't be shy about asking for feedback and getting comfortable being uncomfortable yourself. Let me give you an example. I know one executive, she's based in New York. She runs a global team. She has colleagues in London, Buenos Aires, and Sydney, Australia. She found that her colleague in Buenos Aires was not engaging often on video calls. And at first she thought he must be multitasking. Then she thought maybe he's not interested. Finally, she said, I should stop assuming, check my bias, and just value him visibly and ask. And she sent him a quick IM during the meeting, and he finally wrote back, I'm having such a hard time translating three different English accents when English is not my native language, an American, British, Australian accent at the exact same time. So they started doing new rituals. They added closed captioning on their global team meetings. They recorded calls for different time zones. When they posed a question, they allowed everyone to write down their ideas in a virtual whiteboard first and then call on people to remove extroversion and accent bias. Mm. And I've seen just some of these simple differences from how a leader shows up with that executive presence, which is no longer handshakes and head nods and dressing physically a certain way. It's it's using the camera. It's using the chat, the whiteboards to engage anyone and everyone. And, you know, last but not least, I think it's also about not being afraid to ask and check in, mm-hmm. to not assume you know the answers of what's going on in your team, but truly getting that feedback. Are there anything that like you just can't replicate through a digital format versus in person that like people just need to supplement in some way, shape or form? Yeah. Great question. Spontaneous water cooler moments are really hard Mm. in a virtual first setting. But in the past, traditional spontaneous water cooler moments, in my view, were pretty lame. They were limited to who was on our floor in our office on that day at the water cooler. We tend to talk to people that look like us and, you know, are of the same gender. Again, very much limiting in some ways the diversity of who we could connect with. On, you know, in a virtual screen, I've seen executives do simple things. They run hybrid office hours where three times a week, they just get on for 20 minutes. Everyone shares a win of the week, a challenge of the week. They ask the executive questions that avoids 15 emails or Slack messages going back and forth about something that could be solved in three minutes. 
And what they're finding is that, especially for a lot of women executives who are running out of the office to see their children or commuting at 5 p.m. on a Wednesday and would miss the happy hour, they're now being included in a different way. They're joining the Zoom Friday breakfast. They're able to pop into a meeting and have that FaceTime visibility with a boss even if they're not on site in that office. And so let's bring the brilliance of that back if we can and actually use it as an equalizer. Yeah. So you talked about women executives trying to balance work and life. And I'm curious if there are nuances about how women in particular or other marginalized groups, people of color, really need to have in mind as they navigate their digital communication. Great question. I've done a lot of research on the gender, generational, and cultural nuances of digital body language as an Indian-American woman in business, as a mom of two kids, this really strikes home. And what I found and discovered is that first and foremost, a lot of the research on digital communication hasn't sped up to the gender spectrum. But let me ground it in this broad truth that often many of the gender biases that happened in person are getting amplified online. So let me explain. Amplified. Oh, no. (laughs) In some ways. Yeah. And there are ways to circumvent them in different ways. There's one story about two female executives, and they were dealing with a lot of ways of their customers engaging them by email that was trying to to belittle them, to get discounts constantly. So they decided to create an experiment where they added a male co-founder named Keith. Now, Keith was fake, but Keith had an email address. And they noticed a significant difference between how Keith was responded to simply because of his name and emails Mm. versus their own as two female executives. Think about it. You know, when we answer an email and um, we see two names on it, John Smith and Karen Berry, what is the traditional biased approach that we think about who is the CEO and who is the assistant? It's it's human nature. And, And so, you know, in many ways, some of the things that I've seen are there is a double bind for women in a different way. I've heard from women execs who like to be short and to the point in emails. One in particular, that's an executive that said she learned this bullet point style in emails from her male boss. But when she started running a network of nurses at a health system, only three months in did she discover that they thought she was extremely rude because she never used emojis and exclamations in her emails. Mm -hmm. And there was this double bind of expectation to be kind and likable in a different way, to pepper her language. Another example uh, of this that I've seen is simply uh, one study found that when a younger woman uses multiple emojis in emails at work versus a man of any rank level in that same organization, the woman is more likely to be seen as immature. The man is more likely to be seen as casual or friendly. (laughs) And so on one end, we have this expectation of women being likable in digital communication. On the other end, we it can hurt us as well. And so Mm -hmm. my goal is really to, first and foremost, remind us that we have to be aware of the biases that exist. And we have to acknowledge some of these differences. And then let's be comfortable being authentic, right? Let's encourage men to throw in an emoji or two. Let's allow women to be direct and to the point. That's really what what I hope we can all learn with digital body language, that people can bring in more of their authentic self and we can fight a lot of the traditional biases that exist. 
Yeah. So knowing these biases, are there best practices to do in email? Like how many exclamation points yeah. should we be using and which which emojis should we be adding in that like studies say are the most acceptable emojis? <laughs> yeah. Great question. So I think first and foremost, know your audience. Mm. And really it's based on two factors, trust and power levels. You know, if you're Working with someone more senior, err on the side of formality, you know, be conscious of some of the digital gender biases that exist, just like we're conscious of them in an in-person setting. And in a similar way, when we are the power player in the room, how do we create that environment of authenticity? as well. Mm. I know I've heard from execs that say, I remember the first time I used an emoji with my team members in an email. It felt like a rite of passage. It was like the new smile in an office room. And it did make a big difference, especially in a world where we're seeing the great resignation. I mean, I, I'd argue that one of the reasons there's a great resignation is because we didn't always know how to have a great recognition of our colleagues using an exclamation or an emoji. So I think be conscious of power and trust levels. And I think that is first and foremost. Secondly, you know, if you're a woman who feels the pressure to display that warmth while also making those direct requests in an email and a Slack message, I would argue it's useful to show both competence and warmth. So be direct, but also it can be helpful to avoid potential assertiveness backlash. So be succinct, but maybe offer a framing statement. Say, I'll be as specific as possible, but explain the motivation. Say, I'd appreciate that we could get this done by 5 p.m. This is because the product is launching tomorrow. End with that thank you. Mm -hmm. And again, this is just as important for men as it is for women. This is not gender specific. I'm just acknowledging in some ways that we have to be conscious that these biases that exist. And let's allow us all to be more of who we are. One organization that was primarily women decided that there were a lot of niceties happening in emails and slacks. You know, could you please hedging language, a lot of sorries and statements. <laughs> yeah. So they said they needed to cut it all. So they created an acronym called WINFI, which meant what I need from you. And your email could only, if it was a work request, could only answer Winfee. Just Winfee at the top, what I need. Mm. No smiley faces, no feeling like you need to pepper your language. And it, you know, it was almost like a new template that avoided all of this pressure of having to be nice or bring in peppering language or hedging language when it wasn't necessary. Yeah. But then does an organization like that start to feel less connected and cold because some of it does like allow for personality to come through. I I actually remember I responded recently to an email with like all emojis to which my co-founder yeah. immediately uh, texted me. It was like, have you been drinking wine? Like what's going on? Right. But it does. It allows for some personality to come through with some of that. Yeah. I think that there are the right environments for it, right? Mm -hmm. So those back and forth, fast-paced work requests where I would argue maniacal clarity is empathy. Mm, yeah. That is a version of valuing people's time in inboxes. And there are places like Friday shout-outs on Slack, which is a moment for radical recognition and throwing in those gifts and memes. What this also brings up is what I found in my research is that we all have different digital body language styles. And especially when people ask me about generational differences, what I found is that it's not based on specifically age alone, but on one end, there are those I call digital natives. And on the other end, there are those I call digital adapters. Mm. So a digital native is someone who often finds their voice, their emotion 
through virtual first messages, IMs, texts, slacks, right? They hate voicemail. They hate phone calls out of the blue. They like frequent, fast messages. On the other end of the spectrum are digital adapters. They feel more like immigrants to hybrid work. They prefer that quick phone call, that in-person meeting. And I think, you know, what's important now as leaders is to understand that we have to acknowledge some of these differences as well. And I'll give you an example. I know one executive who's a digital adapter, and he manages a team where there's some natives, some adapters. He has two direct reports, Dave and Allie. And Dave's a digital native. Allie is a digital adapter. When he looks at Allie's Slack channel, he feels at home. He knows exactly what's been going on with the team. There's bullet points. There's headlines. There's great summaries. When he looks at Dave's Slack channel, it's GIFs, memes, hashtags. <laughs> he At first, he was concerned that they weren't doing work. But what he realized at the end of the quarter is that their quality of output was the same. And if he were to force Dave and his leadership style to be more like Ali's, he'd actually be losing the creativity and authenticity of Dave and his team. Mm. And and again, this isn't about being unprofessional. This is about understanding that almost like we have different love languages, we have different digital body languages as well. And as a leader, even knowing how to recognize your digital natives who want fast feedback in Slack versus your digital adapters who want that in-person happy hours is also important. So is that the first step that everybody should do with their teams as they think about this concept of like digital language is to actually learn each other's preferred language? Or are there actually channels best used universally for certain types of things? I would say first and foremost, it's important to acknowledge our differences Mm -hmm. because we can't all fit each other's preferences, right? I would say the first thing that we all have to ask on our teams is, what has been our greatest challenge in digital communication? Where have we struggled the most? And to talk about it in different channels, so video meetings, emails, Slack messages, and then what has been our greatest wins in these different channels? And what this does is it almost is an audit for what's working well and what's not working well. Then based on that, set up some clear communication channel rules. And I like to say, set those rules based on three factors. The first is the length of the message. The second is the complexity of the message. And the third is the urgency of the message. So, you know, based on what you've learned and knowing that people are going to have different personal preferences, how do we define collaboration norms based on tasks? If it's really long, we don't want to be using text for it. We want to use the right channel, the right slide, the right screenshot. If it's short and to the point, maybe it is a quick one-line slack. Second is complexity. Do we need a group brainstorming with 30 people there? Or is this very low complex? Yes, no answer. Knowing which channel to use. I'd argue really defining how to handle a complex issue is important. Mm. I like to say in meetings, make sure there's always an agenda. Make sure there's a host guiding and maximizing inclusivity of everyone sharing, whether it's using the chat or having them answer questions before the meeting. And Always have a note taker summarizing all the next steps. That quick email recap after a meeting is like the new virtual handshake. Mm. It creates that alignment. The third factor is urgency. Do you need it in five minutes or five days? And I also think this is incredibly important because of the burnout and exhaustion that we're all feeling isn't just built on the pandemic and the crisis in many of our industries. It's also built on the fact that we didn't have a clear delineation between work and life. And many of us are sending those messages really late at night or first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. So starting with that audit, 
then defining those better norms, and and then most importantly, having collaboration champions that are holding the team accountable is incredibly important. You talked a little bit about like making sure you do the audit and setting up some of these norms, but let's say you've set all that up. What should you be looking for to make sure that it's effective? Like what are the red flags to show that your virtual communication style just isn't working? Yeah. So a couple of things I think are important red flags to look out for. The first red flag is that deadlines aren't met. Mm. And, you know, so much of deadlines are the culture of how we get work done. But how many of us have just seen this norm of a leader saying, I need this ASAP, and then the team stays up all night working on it, and then they don't get a response for four or five days from, from that leader because they hadn't even looked at that email. And so... Creating an effective team culture is one where deadlines are valued, deadlines are honored. We think about what we need to do beforehand, and we're not creating this constant rush or these fire drills. Another red flag is where, as teams, we're getting brief, low-context messages where we don't know what to do next, where there are five people on a reply-all email and no one knows who needs to take action. As an example, you know, the FYI emails where there's no sense of accountability. I like to say set clear digital norms. If you're on the two line, you need to respond. If you're on the CC line, no need to respond. Mm. Every subject line has to answer that what I need from you. A third red flag is where you're running a meeting and people aren't sharing. They either have no idea why they're there. They, it's not well facilitated for individuals to speak up. And I don't think the answer is to say, you know, we're going to talk about this. Who wants to go first? That's not great digital body language. Great digital body language is sending an agenda before. It's starting the meeting with here's what success looks like. It's highlighting that you're going to call on everyone to share. It's maybe even having a forced order where you call on your introverts or your junior team members first. Mm. Do you add everyone write in a white virtual whiteboard, and then you call in those with the most diverse ideas. I know one leader that did this, and she said, I've heard more from my introverts in these meetings than I ever heard from them in the pre-pandemic office. Mm. And, you know, and I think what that really is, is it's being a facilitator, not a monopolizer of meetings. Mm. And then last but not least, I think the fourth red flag is that the norms around collaboration tools aren't being enforced in a really healthy way. So people reverting back to having meetings that should be emails or sending passive aggressive Slack messages. And that's really where having some champions that are highlighting this polite correction method is really important to get to a new state. We have to learn new behaviors. I like to say, if we add a new collaboration tool, make sure it replaces an existing one or solves a new problem. And then no longer use, you know, if you're using Slack for five topics, you no longer email about it. And you set a rule, if someone emails you about it, you know, respond with hashtag Slack just to refer them to the right place. Mm. So those are just some examples of red flags that we can turn into better practices moving forward. Yeah. So much of what you were talking about is just like clarity. Yes. It is clarity and norm setting that is like just foundational for all of this. And in many ways, I think the immigrant identity is very similar to what we're all facing today of being immigrants and hybrid work where there's not one common language. When you, you know, you try to learn French and you read it in a dictionary, but it's not until you go to France and you learn the accent differences in different parts of France that you really begin to learn the language. And we're building a shared language together. So it has to be agile. It has to be explicit. And we have to do it together. It's not one size fits all. 
Well, that is a great way to move to one of the questions we love to close with. We are a podcast called The New Rules of Business. So if you could write just one new rule for business that would help us communicate more effectively in the digital workplace, what would that rule be? Writing clearly is the new empathy. Mm, I love it. Okay. Follow up to that. The other question we love to ask everyone who has joined us is what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever gotten? And the flip to that, is there a worst? I'm going to start with the worst, which became the best. So I got feedback once. Someone told me, you know, Erica, you're like the opposite of the imposter syndrome. You have too much confidence. (laughs) And, you know, I really had to internalize that. And my response was, that's awesome. That means I'm on the right track. I'm bold and I'm thinking big. And, you know, the reason I wanted to close with that is because we all get lots of advices, but advice is based on someone else's worldview, not our own. And I think we have to listen to it in those ways, take what's great about it, and then keep pushing forward by listening to our own intuition. So I I took that advice as a version of positive feedback in many ways. I love it. I love it. And that's your both worst and best all at the same time. That's right. Love it. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, Erica. This is, I actually now I'm a little bit worried that as I send my next emails and slacks (laughs) that I'm going to like overthink it. Don't overthink it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Erica Dewan, founder and CEO of Potential. So what did you think, Linz? Well, first off, I think it was appropriate to reply to an email with a single emoji. Or a whole string of emojis, apparently. (laughs) But really, what stood out most for me was the phrase maniacal clarity. When you're leading virtually, you need to make the implicit explicit. Put the bottom line up front. And when you're not sure what someone's communication preferences are or why they're not engaging, just ask. Yeah, so much of what Erica talked about was really intuitive. Like, obviously, you should clarify how you want people to participate when you lead a meeting. Clearly, you should use all the tools at your disposal, including emojis, to show empathy and recognize your team for a job well done. And if you tell your team something's due ASAP, then you as the leader should be reviewing and responding as soon as possible. Don't be that a-hole that marks everything as urgent, but you yourself move at a glacial pace. Oh my God, do I do that? I do that sometimes. (laughs) It's really not that hard to not be an asshole. I think the problem is that we all jumped into this way of working so quickly when the pandemic hit, and we didn't have time to think through how to do it right. But it's been almost three years now, and Erica did a great job in sharing these foundational tactics all leaders should keep in mind. Be clear, not brief. Your communications should answer the who, what, and when. Show gratitude. And finally, don't be hasty, be thoughtful. Absolutely. That is it for this episode of the New Rules of Business. A bit hasty there, Carolyn, (laughs) just wrapping it up. Well, I'm sorry if I was not thoughtful enough with my outro. I really think you might be misapplying the advice here, though. (laughs) I just love giving you a hard time. Don't miss out on all of our chief content. You can get more episodes by following the show on your favorite podcast app. And if you're more of a social media person, find us and join the conversation on LinkedIn. 
But if you're ready to up the ante and you're thinking about becoming a member of the Chief Network, head to our website, chief.com, where you can apply. As a member, you'll be connected with the world's most powerful network of executive women. Thanks, Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Mercy Harper, Blaine Edens at Chief, and to our production team, Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Danielle Roth, Madison Lusby, Hannah Pedersen, and Michael Aquino. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan. Thanks for listening. 